Hey everyone, welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know. Not to know what you believe or why you believe it. This is a podcast where we want to create a space where it's okay to explore, okay to go into the thicket, if you will, and see what happens. Maybe it forges a new path for you, but maybe it's just a, a dead end that's not worth exploring anymore. But what you do have with you is people, not just myself and Ryan, my co-host, but others who are on that journey with you. And that's okay. My name is Nathan Whitaker, and today we are going to be talking about something that's just on my mind. As we talked about last week, we are kind of doing something throughout these next couple of months where sometimes I'll be doing an episode, other times Ryan will be doing an episode, and today is, is my turn. And I wanted to talk about something with you that's really raw, um, raw in that I haven't thought it through. <laughs> and a lot of times I like to make sure I think things through before I start to say them out loud. Um, I have actually kind of a weird process because I'm such a, a cognitive brain focused person. I spend a lot of time thinking first and then I find people that I trust to uh, explore those thoughts with, and I always make sure I tell them that it's raw and new because um, I'm so desperately worried that I'm going to be judged by what I say and, and whether or not I've actually thought something through. Um, and then after I do that for a while, I will then share that more publicly and start to craft that idea. So what I thought I'd do today is just invite you into my brain when it comes to something going on in the church um, because that's what we do here on this podcast. And uh, I don't know what that's going to mean. Uh, I'm trying to be a little bit more risky and dangerous in my mind of things. It's probably not going to be that big of a deal for you. Uh, but I want to do that with you today. So I want to start with a story. Um, and the story is that... I have somebody in my congregation, it's actually a couple, they're in their 70s or so, so they are well ensconced within the, the boomer generation, and they have not been around during this entire COVID fiasco. They haven't been uh, involved in the life of the congregation. The wife of this couple, she was our bookkeeper for a while. Um, and then, uh, due to things that I don't need to talk about here, we've decided not to continue having her on as a bookkeeper. And that was a recent decision. Most of the time, what we've been doing is we've just been living with her as a bookkeeper and her husband coming in every once in a while and sharing his opinions and thoughts and expertise. But make no mistake, they haven't really been in the life of the congregation. And this is one of those COVID things that we're worried about or we're trying to think through of like membership as it was traditionally thought of seems to be going out of the window. I think that's a good thing. But when that's gone, then boundaries of how to include people, who to include, at what level do we include them? We want to include everybody. It's more important of who at what levels do we include certain people and not others in terms of uh, decision-making or uh, those sorts of things. And this couple hasn't been around for a while. In fact, um, 
their issues with what's been going on precedes COVID. We have a school that we're attached to and um, our congregation hasn't been in a place to support them uh, monetarily. I don't support them because I don't think that uh, it is a good school. In other words, I don't think that the administration at the school is doing a very good job and I just don't want to support that. There's more to that than I want to go into here, but the bottom line is that we're not supporting either financially or in our service this school in any significant way, and that has caused some concern from them because they are heavily involved in this school. So that was going on before COVID, and then COVID came around, and we're at the place we are now. So a little bit of detail um, to flesh out what's going on. That was the context of um, my thoughts today. Today we had a congregational meeting and we were voting for the approval of some of our board members. You know, a pretty typical thing churches do. And this woman's husband was nominated by several people. I believe it was for stupid political reasons within the congregation. Again, we don't need to go into that. But he wasn't really seriously considered because in our bylaws and in our policies, in order to be considered as a proper nominee, you need to be a part of the active life of the, the um, congregation, an active participant within the life of the congregation. So this includes a very easily tallowing um, sign, such as being in worship every single week. Um, but it doesn't have to be that, right? Right now we are doing things online, and so that could be part of it. Um, but it's one of those things that even if we don't have uh, strict characteristics of what it means to be an active participant, it's pretty clear who's active and who's not. And this gentleman is not. So we were voting on somebody else to fill in our board. And uh, after that, it was brought up that um, this gentleman was not considered and we had to be honest. I'm, I wasn't leading this meeting, the chair was, but we've had this conversation several times. We just have to be honest and say that this person's not a part of the life of, con of the congregation and therefore, you know, wasn't seriously considered as a nominee. And as the chair was saying this, I was looking around the meeting because I was in the back watching everybody. And, you know, everybody kind of nodded their head because it makes sense, right? Um, this is where the rawness comes in. Uh, this makes sense, right, folks? It makes sense that somebody who isn't part of the life of the congregation shouldn't be on the board. In fact, we haven't seen this gentleman for two and a half years, except for when he comes in to, um, to say something he's not happy about. Uh, and this should be normal, right? <laughs> and yet, where we're living and w with the particular context of my congregation, um, some people got upset with this. Not very many, um, but a couple people got mad at this and decided to, quote-unquote, defend his honor and say that he was watching online and so on and so forth. And anyway... We don't need to go into the weeds of all that. I just wanted to give the, the background because I think some of us deal with some of this kind of stuff. And it just brought me to this question um, that becomes bigger the more I think about it. And with them, uh, with this particular example, it was about entitlement, right? And 
I know that the story itself doesn't elucidate that these folks may be entitled, and I can't actually say if that's the case. It just feels that way. And I'm sure you can think of some folks in your life, your congregation, your family, your uh, apartment complex, your neighborhood, whatever it is that are entitled. In fact, we don't have to go very far. We can look at, you know, town hall meetings throughout these last few years, school board meetings, and you can see how people are both rightly upset and worrying through uh, this pandemic, but also very much displaying some sort of sense of entitlement. And so when I start thinking about entitlement, I start to think broadly in patterns. It's kind of what I do. And so what I'm thinking through right now is the pattern of the culture we've inherited. Because I came into this congregation inheriting something that was very much stuck in the 90s, early 2000s, culturally speaking. The church really hadn't moved very much further along the way. Uh, I don't know if that's a Midwestern thing because I don't know enough. Um, I've talked with folks that makes me think that maybe it is a particular type of culture, geographically speaking. But I also think it's maybe a culture that is uh, age-wise in terms of where you were born and when you were born. Um, I only have my experiences, so I can't say very much. And that's why I'm wondering, I'm thinking out loud, is this a boomer thing? Not the entitlement necessarily, although that I think is part of it. But are we dealing with, in a very tangible and open way, visible way rather, that, uh, that uh, cultural shift, that generational shift? And this is usually what I do is I ask a question like that and then my brain starts to go all over the place. And the first place my brain went was, I wonder if this is true for other generational shifts. Like, did this happen between the boomers and the generation before. I would think it did because, you know, when I was growing up, we heard a lot about um, hippies, the flower generation, and anti-war and all that kind of stuff, which was in direct opposition to the greatest generation, those who went to World War II and so forth. And <laughs> that's only 25 years difference, which is just crazy to me. Uh, you know, those memes that are out there when you realize that 1940 is just as far away from 1980 as 2020 was or something like that. I think I got that right. I don't know about the math, but makes me wonder, like, is this something that all people go through, all generations go through? Maybe we're just going through it a bit differently, maybe later in life um, because of who boomers are and because of the power that they had. I don't know. I start wondering about that. And then I start pulling in like things that I've noticed around, right? So I've noticed that work culture has pretty much frozen. Now, something like 6 million people. I don't know if that's right. It sounds like a lot, but a lot of people haven't returned back to work. And some of them haven't returned back because of retirement is something we just learned recently from Forbes, I believe. But a lot of people aren't returning back to work of my generation and younger because we're just kind of sick of being around that culture. Why would we go back to work, um, whether it's a particular job or the office, when things like pay doesn't change or benefits don't adjust? And instead of 
rewarding people for what they do. They reward the culture and they bring like uh, improvements to the office and so forth. I, I think about that one in particular because um, in this congregation that I'm serving, uh, that was very much led by a certain boomer culture in some ways. Um, I remember last year it was towards the end of the year, 2020. It was a tough year, right? And um, the treasurer, who was a boomer, came to me and said, you know, Nate, uh, you, you got to stop spending so much money, which wasn't much. The budget was $500. You got to spend stop spending so much money on the staff for gifts because we collect a gift at the end of the year for our... Um, staff and we give it to them as a congregation. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, yeah, that's all well and good, um, but uh, you're making a decision right now that paying uh, benefits, uh, even small benefits, to uh, a staff is not worth the effort. Not to mention that was a weird year and we were meeting, but a good portion of people weren't meeting anymore in the congregation, still worshiping online. Uh, in fact, um, retrospect is 2020, right? And I know that these folks weren't going to be coming back because of some problems in our congregation. And so they were just saying, hey, we need to cut, cut it out, cut the shit, stop paying people. Um, we'll do that if we want to, but you're not going to pay for it through the budget. It just was such an odd choice, right? $500 is not that much money for pretty much any organization. Um, it can be, of course, but even for uh, one that has declined in terms of its giving, um, right now our 2020 budget is going to be $150,000 of income. I'm sorry, $175,000 of income. $500 in that is a drop in the bucket, right? especially when you think about paying people. But I think it comes to this boomer culture. Um, and I don't know how else to say it, where uh, we value certain things. We do certain things for the goals that we have, but not for treating the people. So the goals would be to grow the organization. And when people do that, we reward them with better offices, <laughs> better um equipment, maybe time time off, maybe, um, but even that, not so much. So I think about that, right? We've got that whole thing going on in the culture, the conversation about the workplaces and is there a big shift going on there? Seems to be that there is. And this entitlement that boomers seem to have, and I know everybody can have this, but it just seems to be some sort of cultural entitlement where uh, because they built it, because they did things a certain way, it needs to always be done that way, and they always need to have a voice. It's kind of wild. And I wonder if you've been experiencing this. Um, sometimes I think that I'm in a unique position at this congregation, and it is not the same everywhere else. But I think because I've seen certain things uh, in a very extreme way, it does point to a general milieu of what I'm calling boomer culture out there. You might not have people that are just as crazy of, hey, let's cut it out and not spend $500. Or, hey, even though I haven't been here for two and a half years, I think I should be on your board. 
I don't think that kind of stuff is always out there, but I think some level of it is, right? And what's this mean for the church? It's like the bigger question. What's this mean for the church in general and, of course, in congregations? The biggest thing that my congregation's been dealing with is the decline that has happened from the late 90s. People don't go to church anymore. Um, the people who do go to church tend to gravitate towards these mega church cultures where there's anonymity, there is celebrity, and so on and so forth. And a lot of churches that don't follow that model, not all of them, but a lot of churches that don't follow that or have that within it, they want to, they get jealous or they just want to emulate that. And so I was called to such a congregation. It was actually kind of large in its heyday, about a thousand people on a Sunday. Uh, before I arrived, um, a year before I arrived, it was about 450. And then I got there, it was 150 because um, there wasn't anything major happening that I could tell. It was just the trajectory of everything happening at this congregation. But I wonder, like, what's this all mean for the church? It's meant a coalescing around these ideas that we've been talking about culturally, theologically, that could be problematic. It's also coalescing around ways of doing church that we've talked about um, and that lots of people are. You've got the shame, you've got the guilt, you've got the, um, you got to put in the effort to actually be on the board or be in leadership. I remember when we hired our next gen leader, who's about 10 years younger than me, um, there was a lot of pushback because he was inexperienced and um, they wanted him to do things that just were humanly impossible. They wanted him to do the ministry entirely and get the rewards of that ministry by bringing folks into the church to pay for their building, which is, you know, boomer culture par excellence. And so anyway, I'm just thinking kind of rambly here. Let me bring it back so that we're clear and concise. Um, I wonder what this means for the church. Like is what's going on here? Is this a shift into the way of doing church? We've talked about it in terms of like, are we experiencing the death of evangelicalism? Are we experiencing the death of the church as we know it? Well, if we like cast that in light of this generational question, is it that boomers are holding on to what they had so much that they're going to go down with the ship? That they're not open to the next generations, plural, contributing to what's going on? Is the next generations, are the next generations, millennials young and younger, maybe some Gen Xers too, are they... Are they just doing their own thing, finding church in a different way? Uh, if you're on TikTok, that's certainly what's happening there. Is it happening everywhere? Like this entitlement, this uh, gatekeeping type culture, we're just so fucking tired of it. So are we moving on to something else? Are we just letting that all burn down in its own way? And going off and doing something else. Are there some churches that are willing to make those adjustments? Are there some people who are willing to stick with those folks to make those adjustments? I don't know. I'm kind of curious. I want to, want to know, um, is the boomer thing kind of right? 
I know we're like 20 minutes in, but I just want to say it's not boomers as people, right? Um, some of the best people in the congregation I serve are boomers. It's more the boomer culture that existed at a certain time and place, but seems to persist in this day and age when we're supposed to be, you know, listening from other folks and, and moving beyond that. I don't know. I don't know. Is that the culture shift that's happening? Is that, is that why we have a podcast called The Frontier Faith? Is that why Trump became a thing and then the post-Trump era is becoming the thing that it is? Is, is it, It's not just cultural, but is that a good lens to think about it? Because I really don't like to think about things as, you know, for instance, the couple that I brought up, that they're just, you know, a couple assholes that are just trying to cause problems. <laughs> Sometimes it very much feels like that. But generally, there's something going on there that's behind it, right? And yes, personally, there's certainly something else going on there. But why do they feel so empowered to insist that they they be on the board or one of them be on a board after being there for for being absent for two and a half years? Like, that's puzzling, right? I mean, when we really think about it, it's kind of puzzling. Nobody does that. Like, if I were to be outside of a school for two and a half years, I, an alumni, right? I'm not going to go back to that school and insist that I know what needs to be done, that I should be on the board and kind of try to manipulate my way there. It's silly. Anyway, those, those are my rambly thoughts. I don't think they were too rambly actually today, but those are my thoughts, my raw thoughts on where we are. I, I really wonder if what we're feeling, what we're going through is a cultural shift within the church, within society at large, but certainly within the church. And there are going to be casualties, unfortunately, with this. Some on the side of the boomer culture where uh, they get hurt because the time marches on. People insist certain things, not because they're trying to be mean, although that would be true too, um, but they're trying to get some change going to, to bring life to a congregation or life to a community, and boomers can feel left behind because they insisted on such a way. And of course, we've seen the pain on the other side where millennials and younger, Gen Xers and younger, they feel the blunt force of this culture. They feel like they're not part of it. They feel excluded, right? And a lot of the work in deconstruction is to dissociate or let's say detach. Well, of course, deconstruct, but detach themselves from the idea that this is who Jesus is and God is. And instead, it was a cultural way of living that they were growing up in that was in its ending phases and was having problems. And now we're seeing the full force of that. I just, I wanted to bring that to you today. I'm trying to think it through. I'm trying to figure out what's good language for this. What do you think? Am I hitting a mark here? Am I getting kind of close to something? Maybe it's totally bad language, but I said something and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen that kind of stuff too. I wonder what it is. And maybe you haven't seen it in boomer culture, right? That's perfectly possible because that's just my experience. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? I'd be very curious to know. 
at the very least, I hope that uh, this little little thought gives you something to chew on, gives you something to consider. Um, maybe it, what it's done for me is it's allowed me to be a bit more compassionate. Um, and I say a bit more because I mean a bit more. Sometimes this is really frustrating to meet when people are doing and saying things that are just so utterly fucking ridiculous. And yet, when I hit that frustration, I think to myself, why, as I usually do. And this is the answer that I keep on coming back to at some level is, well, they were taught that this was okay, or they tried to teach me that this was okay. Right? And they just don't like people standing up and saying, this is bullshit, you got to stop it. <laughs> I'll end with this. One of the things in my time at this congregation, I'm almost done. I'll be uh, leaving the congregation in um, about six weeks. And it's in good hands. There's some really wonderful leaders who have grown up in that congregation, who have served that congregation, and they are they are ready to to do what they need to do. This meeting today actually showed that because they handled this, this situation with grace and with compassion. However, as I've been thinking about my departure, as I've been getting ready to live, leave, uh, I've really been thinking about my impact. Right? And I think when it comes to this culture, at least, this cultural way of living, the thing that I've done is said no to people who just do not like being told no, who have never heard no, who have not learned to receive no well, and so forth. And let me give a very concrete yet trite example, and that is um, this congregation, like a lot, focus its money and its efforts on the building. And for a boomer culture, not boomers particularly, but a boomer culture. Maintaining the building, making sure that the building, of course, which was uh, built in 1997, right at the height of boomer culture's power and within the church, um, they want to maintain that building. Everything is to pay for that. Uh, for those of you who are pastors or within the church, get a load of this number, they spend 50% of their budget on the building. In fact, next year, it's something like 55 to 60% because of um, yeah the dwindling financial situation. And from day one, I have said constantly and consistently, I was not called here to save your building. And it's a funny thing when you tell people no. And of course, that doesn't have the word no in there, but let me phrase it in a question. Pastor, are you here to save the building? No. Pastor, will you do this decision? Will you make this decision? Will you do this thing that, that helps us save the building? No. Funny thing happens when you tell people no, at least in this situation, is they just don't believe you. <laughs> the people just didn't believe me. They're like, oh, well, he'll learn or... He doesn't know what he's talking about. And these were all like from a perspective of them knowing more, not in an arrogant way, but once he gets settled in and once he sees what's going on, he'll have to pay attention to the building. And of course, I never did, not in the way they wanted me to. And so that no uh, that started off being meant by confusion and whatever uh, was met with anger this past year. 
well, and was racial, um, well, racism and some other things that kind of made this all come to a head. But the culture that dominates itself, being told no, causes many, many problems. But I think they're necessary in order for the core identity, the core passion, the core mission, goal, whatever word you want to use or whatever different flavor of that, that, you know, they're all distinct in matter. It gets exposed. And so this is a final thought. Maybe what's going on is because millennials and Gen Zers and of course some Gen Xers are not interested in upholding a boomer culture any longer because we are saying no in the many different ways that we do. Maybe a lot of the problems we're dealing with is because we don't know how to say no well. I will take full responsibility for that. Sometimes I have not said no well. And maybe sometimes we don't know how to receive no well. What do you think? I want you to chew on that. Let me know. Email us at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and really help me out. This is a kind of raw, just, hey, this is what I've been thinking about thing. I hope it was helpful. I hope that uh, it brought about compassion in that no. Uh, I think that's where I was going with it. So to finish that thought, as we say no, we meet people with compassion. And as best as we can, recognize that a lot of us, it could be boomer culture for some, but it's other things for other people. We hold on to what Luther would call idols, but really just we hold on to things that are so different from what Jesus tells us to hold on to that um, starts to hurt us. And the compassion comes in to say, hey, I'm going to tell you no, but that's for your own good, for our good as a community but it also should redirect us to where we need to put our focus. So instead of a building, for example, let's put our focus on our community, our people who are hurting. And this will be the final thing. The joy of my time there, as I've been known as the guy that says no to that way of, of doing church, being church, whatever you want to call it, is that the oppressed in our congregation the, the, those who were under the heel of the powerful family and their allies, very mafia-like, <laughs> they now have a voice. They now feel more free. They feel as though the church is a place they want to be. And that's my hope. And I'm going to give a story to say the same thing that Ryan says that it's going to be okay and God will take care of us. I want to tell you this final story. I've probably shared it once or twice before, but it's such a good story. I have an older gentleman in my congregation. He's in his mid-70s. He's always gone to church, but he's always gone because he has to, right? He's of that generation of that age where you, you just have to go to church. And it stuck with him. Um, and it wasn't that he begrudgingly went. He just went. Wasn't terribly thrilled about it. He, he put his hour in every single week, and then he would go back. Sometimes he'd come to the midweek and midweek services that we have during Lent and um, Advent. But 
that was it. And then I came to the congregation. I started talking and preaching and teaching and leading. And slowly but surely, and this is this guy's words, not mine. I'm sharing his story through my perception of it, reception of it. But these are what he, these are the words that he said. Slowly but surely, he started to get involved and he started to see what it really meant to serve, what it really meant to lead. And this is a guy who would never, never be accepted in the former status quo, the former leadership, the boomer culture, to say. And now this gentleman, he said to me, he said, I used to come here and I never really hated being here for an hour, but I always thought I could be doing something else with my time. But now I want to be here more and more. And it says on Sundays, it was on a particular Sunday, he shared this with me, where we were here for four hours. <laughs> it was a long morning. Uh, and he said, I wish we could stay longer because I feel like I feel like I actually want to be here. See, I think that this fight is worth having, that saying no in the midst of such chaos, in the midst of such violence, as my postmodern philosophers would say, brings about a life that we all desperately need. And for this man, it was okay. It really was, and it's going to be okay. He is now a key leader in the congregation as they deal with this culture head on in a way that I won't be able to see, witness, or guide through. But I do know that he and everyone else will be okay because God will take care of them, just as he always has taken care of them in the midst of such trouble and in the midst of this boomer culture. <laughs>